Hello. Hi. I'm Shannon. I'm Emma. And welcome to This Podcast Doesn't Exist. Whoa. I felt really good about about that. I support you. Thanks. In that. Uh, we're two best friends. We support each other. <laughs> even when we make each other cry. What? It what? happens sometimes. Yeah. Hopefully it won't happen today. But who knows? Every day's a mystery. Anyway, we're two best friends. <laughs> how'd you start that? Where'd you get? How'd you get there? <laughs> Look, I'm just here. I'm here for a good time. Will it be a long time? I don't know. You can see the timestamp of this episode. <laughs> how long is it? We'll see. Uh, but anyway, like I said, yes, we are two best friends. I believe that's true. Who hang out every week? We record a podcast about the unexplained, yeah, the unanswered, yeah. The confusing? Yeah. Sometimes scary. Mm-hmm. Not today, though. Nope. Really? Well, no. Not really. Not really scary? Yeah. Okay. Not really. I mean, uh, surprise. Uh, not surprise, surprise. It's not Shannon a surprise. episode. <laughs> I mean, if you're new here, uh, it's not really my vibe. Sometimes I try to make it work, uh, and then Emma makes fun of me by being like, <laughs> Shannon attempted to scare Emma. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. I'm just going to stay in my mother tucking lane okay meanwhile every time you try to scare me with like a ghost story or something i will in- inevitably answer within the podcast like oh that poor thing and you're like no supposed to be scary it's scary scared. Uh, anyway i wrote my notes this week and next week might get a little weird slash weirder than usual because it's a recording double header today womp womp it's very exciting but before i tell you why we're recording two episodes in one night we're gonna tell them where to find stuff emma this podcast doesn't exist dot com dot com it's where you can find all of our socials gonna tell you right now we're really only active on instagram however blake has been super active on twitter for us the so tweets you, you can go ahead over head over there and hang <laughs> what out what is happening <laughs> Um, and at the very least, right now, he's been posting a lot of our um, backlog episodes, so like a lot of our older episodes, so you can check in on those too if you see something that catches your eye. So go ahead and follow us on there. Nice, nice, nice. Yep, Sometimes yep, yep. I do that where I scroll through the list and I'm like, oh, we did do an episode about that, didn't yeah. we? At some point, I know what's going to happen is I'm going to roll up with like a full list of notes <laughs> and you're going to be like... Emma, I know this story. I'm like, why? But it's so scary. How could you possibly know it? You're like, because you told it to me. Either that or what's going to happen is we're going to record it, not neither of us knowing. <laughs> and we put it out and Blake is the one that's going to go, you guys already did that. I feel like, I mean, if we ever have an episode that's like Friday, April 1st, we should. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I feel like that's less likely to happen for spooky episodes because those get they stick imprinted on my tear ducts that's that's fair i feel like you wouldn't forget i would be the one to forget you get so excited i would get too excited i feel like if that were to happen though i would just try to deadpan and just like i'd be really impressed but like not not even like yeah like not like oh i'm gonna like act scared so that emma doesn't realize like no just trying to like completely stone cold steve austin and you'll be like aren't you scared? And I'll be like, no, Emma, because then Robert did this. And you'll be like, like, how did you forget, dude? Oh, this is very beside the point. However, my parents have a timeshare in Key West. This is something Shannon knows. I'm telling the world. My parents have a timeshare in Key West. um, And there's like some situation where they might be selling a family house. Like my dad's siblings and maybe selling a family house. And then, uh, if they have that portion of Mune, I told my mom, I was like, why don't you, since you have a timeshare, because you, you can take that wherever, mm-hmm. you can buy, because they love Key West. I was like, buy a house in Key West. You can go down there. The month that it's really, really hot is also Pride Month. <laughs> and oh I'm like, God. you could make bank. The gays and days. They the- would just... Love it. You could make bank in Key West by renting out your house. And then on the off season, you could just go hang out and drink Cuban coffee and eat everything. Big, wear big hats. And Mom you'd be the happiest. That. And my mom was like, that is a brilliant idea. And I was like, you're welcome. 
And I feel like, okay, but here's the thing. I feel like, yes, your parents could make bank, but I feel like knowing your mom. She'd want to be there. She'd want to be there and, like, take Take cool photos. Oh, absolutely. But that could be, like, an extra bonus uh, Airbnb experience (gasps) is that you have. Oh, my gosh. I forgot Airbnb does that. Shout out to Kim Kylie Photography. Check her out on the gram and online. Um, It's really fun. I'm using one of her photos for a project for school. Really? Because I'm supposed to have my consultant, like, about me page. So I'm going to use the one of me in the top hat. Oh, yay. (laughs) To be like, hats off to your perfect wedding. (laughs) That's so good. Yeah. It's it's on brand for me and – yeah. Anyway, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. But, yeah, we love that. Yeah. So um, that might – I mean, it's a very – ephemeral thing at the moment. Like, the possibility of the house even being sold. Also, bachelorette parties. Oh, my gosh. She could do a themed one. Oh my gosh! She I feel spend like her the, entire summer in Key so West. Many, my mother would be the happiest. There are person. so many like themed bachelorette like Airbnb things in like Nashville, but and like New Orleans too. I feel like she could do it in Key West. That would be so. We much could help fun. her. We'll be like, this is the thirteen going on thirty room. <gasps> There's like a bowl of razzles. Oh my gosh! Next to the bed, and then a pink dollhouse in the corner with no dolls. No, no dolls, mom. No dolls. Just the dollhouse. Just the house. That, okay. So the reason I, I got onto this okay. was because- <laughs> Robert the doll. Robert the doll. <laughs> We're back. Chaotic energy. But I had a dream that my mom and dad had bought, in, like they had they had taken my idea and bought a house in Key West and it turned out that it was Robert's house. Absolutely not. And I literally, I was like, mom, I am not walking into this house. No. Either you get a priest- or you get no. Like, Honestly, a I don't trust you that. Get, you get something to cleanse this house, and I step into the kitchen. I'm not sleeping here. No, anything like that. Meanwhile, I don't think my mom like it, it was a it, I, the part of the dream that I couldn't rationalize was the fact that my parents had even bought it in the first place. I think my dad would do it as like a oh <laughs> that's kind of funny, but I, like I don't think he'd seriously consider it because he's also not one to test things. He's like I'm not no. testing it. I'm not I'm not touching it. But I think if my I, the only way my mom would have done it is if she had no clue. <laughs> like if yeah. she had any inkling, she'd be like, "She'd be like, what? No, I have oh, no. Mm-mm. You did you did an episode about what? Oh, well, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> We've already closed. Can't do anything about Look at it. These it's cute fine. lamps I found at Goodwill. <laughs> oh, ignore the white lady. It's fine. Anyway. <laughs> So welcome to the chaos, my friends. We can't even blame it on being late at night. It is a moderate 6 p.m. <laughs> and we haven't even had dinner. And really, it feels like 5 p.m. because of daylight savings time. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I completely forgot. Yeah. I got confused, even though that's such an like, spring forward fall back. It's the whole yeah, thing. you know it. it, it every year. But, like, last night, I went and I changed because my pump doesn't automatically do it. Yeah, you got to manually not, change so the time. So I was like, okay. And I remembered from the fall that the time change happens at like 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. Cause then midnight doesn't get confused, you know, yeah, confusing. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's the day before. So, but it was like 11 After. o'clock and I was like, okay, I'm going to roll this back. So wh- this morning when I woke up, my phone said like nine o'clock and my pump said like seven o'clock because I had gone the wrong way. But anyway, I fixed maybe, it now. Maybe that's why it didn't update me at the right time. Maybe. I don't know. I Emma's turned me into her Tamagotchi basically <laughs> and I will not be providing context. Uh, just a reminder, if you still haven't changed the time in your car, do that so you can stop freaking yourself out that you're late for everything. Okay. You're my Tamagotchi. You're my Tamagotchi. Beep, boop, beep, beep. I don't know. <laughs> I do need to feed you, but Ones that's later. Ones zeros. Binary. <laughs> I'm a little picture. Okay, but so the reason for the chaos, we're doing this twice. I can't I can't imagine what your episode is going to be like. It's going to be great. It's going to be insane. Okay, but the reason mm-hmm. that that's happening mm-hmm. is because we will be braving the Denver International Airport. I'm so excited. And all of its perils to go visit my mom for my birthday. Yeah. It's visiting be, Karen. It's gonna be really fun. We are gonna try and get some content at the I'm at the s- airport. I really, I think the thing I really want to see is the gargoyles. Yes, I know that you I said didn't... they were under construction at one point, right? Or they were like they, moved. They were. I think they're back. However, we are going to not make the mistake that I made last year. Yes, because most of the stuff is 
before you go through security. Yes. And when I got to the airport, I, I am the daughter of a military gentleman. And I was stressed that I wasn't going to make it. Of course, I sat at the gate for like half an hour. I was totally fine. But you never know. No, you never know. So. I also travel the same way. I appreciate yeah. that we travel the we're same gonna, way. We're going to, for our 11 a.m. flight, we're going to roll up at like 8 o'clock. I'm so excited. And we're going to be like, hi. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I'll pay $12 for an airport muffin. Bring it. Yeah, absolutely. Do okay. it. The, the airport is one of those places, though, where it's, it's it like. It doesn't matter. It's like an amusement park Disney or a World. ballpark. It's like. You, you, it does not matter how you're much like, the food is. You're I'm like, trapped whatever. Inside. Great. I this can't. Is, I can't do anything else. I like, can't. fine. I will pay you twelve dollars for a hot dog. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not eating a hot dog at the airport, but you know. No, absolutely not. No. All right. Anyway, <laughs> hot dogs in the airport. <laughs> that is not the title of this episode. <laughs> Emma. Yeah. I wrote you a song. Sort of. I I had an assist. Oh? Okay. So here we go. Dear Emma Kylie, what to say to you? In just three days, we'll take an airplane west. You'll freak out and go to sleep. That's fine. I'll get you snacks. <laughs> so, my friends, that's right. Today, I'm here to tell you about the life and mysterious death of Miss Theodosia Burr. And the reason that that's really fitting is because we're going to see the touring company of Hamilton while we're in Denver on the trip. I'm so, <laughs> so good. I'll get you snacks. <laughs> I need you to sing this to me on the plane. Okay. <laughs> I will. I'll be like, I'm going to write down on a post-it what snacks you want. <laughs> I'll tape it to my, <laughs> to to my forehead. <laughs> uh, but... Anyway, please also know that I had already started pulling up articles for a different topic, but then I thought of this while I was brushing my teeth last night, and I was like, well, I have to do it. I knew, I was like, I knew that you had started your podcast research, and I was like, I don't understand why you text me this morning, and you're like, so I haven't started, and I'm like, what? I mean, I I hadn't really started. I had like- Pulling sources is important. Yeah. It was part of the process. There was a lot going on, okay? In my little brain, we were just cycling and not focusing, and it was fun. Spicy brain soup. Spicy brain soup. Good soup. Good, good question mark soup. Alrighty. But yes, we're here. We're talking about the Adoja. Here we go. Background. And we just like visual up, bit game sign. Some, yeah, if you're playing Dubby along is. the bingo card. Sorry. Oh, yeah, you can find that on our, our website. If you're, you've been here. You've been here before. And if you're new, you're smart because you're listening to us. So hey. you'll figure it out. Alrighty. But cute, too. Yeah. Yeah. Theodosia Burr was born to Aaron Burr and Theodosia Bartow Burr in Albany, New York on June 21st, 1783, a year after they married. Her mother was the widow of Jacques Marcus Prevost, a British army officer who settled in New York City. She had five other children from that marriage and was nine years Burr's senior. Her second marriage caused quite the scandal. Uh, yeah. But also she was, like, very much supportive of the Patriot cause even from the before beginning. her first husband died. Like... And there were there were figures in the Patriot cause that were like they knew she was cool, so they they would help like redirect attention because there was a risk as the wife of a British army officer yeah. and like a loyalist that her like house could be seized or whatever. But they Your were like, children can they be... were like, she's cool, she's cool, yeah, she's cool. That's good, yeah. But Theodosia, the younger. Grew up comfortably in New York City, enjoying the comforts that money had to offer a young daughter of the revolution. She had a detailed education that was closely supervised by her father. She studied the usual subjects for privileged young women, French, music, dancing. But her father also had her studying math, Latin, Greek, and English composition. There were, there are thousands of letters between the two many of which contain his critique of her writing <laughs> dad um, but i think it was more in a like 
Hey, what about helpful? This? Like yeah. you're learning because that's how she was like working on composition was writing these letters. He sounds like a good dad so far. Yeah. Uh, she was a bit of a child prodigy, uh, and she spoke Latin, French, German, and read Greek by the age of 12. Oh, gosh. All right. So I've done nothing with my life. <laughs> Theo and her dad oh. were very close. I love that as her nickname. Right. Uh, quote, your dear little Theodosia cannot hear you spoken of without an apparent melancholy, the elder Theodosia wrote to a traveling burr in 1785, quote, insomuch that her nurse is obliged to exert her invention to divert her and myself avoid to mention you in her presence. She was one whole day indifferent to everything but your name. Her attachment is not of a common nature. <laughs> This kid doesn't like me as much as she likes you, and it's really annoying. <laughs> For his part, Burr reportedly referred to his daughter affectionately as Little Miss Pris. Aww. Unfortunately, young Theo's mother died when she was just 11 years old. So sad. This led her father to become even more involved, now overseeing her social upbringing as well. By the age of 14, she had begun to serve as hostess at Richmond Hill, Burr's stately home in what is now Greenwich Village. So, I feel like we see this a lot, especially historically, of like, well, one of the spouses died, so guess what? You are now like a child parent slash co-house runner person. It's like when the, when the father dies, the son is the man of the house kind yeah. of thing. Which is and you're like, Dude, not great. You're twelve. Yeah, <laughs> you're twelve. You're twelve. Uh, chapter two. <gasps> they grow up so fast. No. In eighteen o one, at the age of eighteen, Theodosia Burr married a wealthy landowner from South Carolina named Joseph Alston. He was twenty two, which I was kind of surprised oh. about. Yeah, because I assumed he was going to be like forty seven. Waiting for you to go sixty five, right? I was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> they became the first recorded couple to honeymoon in Niagara Falls. Ah, oh, that's so cool. Little more than a month afterward, she and her new husband watched her father get sworn in as vice president of the United States under President Thomas Jefferson. Yes. And I feel like there's kind of, like, mixed kind of vibes. Like, I think Theodosia and her husband did have, a fa like, love for each other. I don't think it was necessarily a whirlwind romance. Okay. Um, though her letters indicated, quote, an affectionate alliance between her and her new husband, historians speculate that romance was not the primary factor behind this union. Aaron Burr seemed in constant concern over financial matters, particularly how the family would keep the Richmond Hill house. If Theo married a prominent member of the Southern gentry, all the better for everyone. Mm. For his part, Alston benefited from ingratiating himself with Republican voters in an effort to downplay his aristocratic status. Ah, just as a side note, Republicans at that point were basically what Democrats are today. It's a it's kind of confusing. Yeah, it changed around the time of uh, Lincoln's administration. The Lincoln administration. <laughs> Christian, correct me if I'm wrong. Or Blake, correct me if I'm wrong. But that's what I remember from AP history. Head empty. No thoughts. <laughs> if they don't talk about it on the West Wing. Or in Hamilton. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, or in 1776, and I'm like, nah, I don't no, really like that show, no. so I haven't. The only, the, only re the only part of that show that I really love is the opening scene. Fair. Because that song is great, and the, the sequence of, like, everybody in and out, they always do it pretty well, like, even, like, community theater places, because it's so active, and I love that opening scene. Yeah. I'm trying, I'm like, what is helpful in that show? I guess that, um... The Molasses to Rum song. It's a good song, too. We, you know, I feel like we all had to write, like, a one-page essay on a test about the yeah the transatlantic slave trade. Yeah. Um, ba -ba 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 -ba, which Alston was a slave owner, I believe. 
That makes sense for the time period and where he was living. Yeah. Theodosia gave birth to their only child, a son named Aaron Burr Alston, in 1802. That's kind of, she loves her dad. That's, that's yeah. sweet. Following the baby's birth, her health became fragile. She was severely injured during the traumatic birth, and the prolapsed uterus she suffered left her in immense pain and made further childbearing impossible. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. That's okay. I just... Be... It's all right. I don't want to Yeah, we don't have it. to. Although she adored her husband and his family, she had a hard time adjusting to the isolated life of a plantation mistress at the Oaks, the family estate in South Carolina, and was soon spending half the year in New York with her father. She made trips to Saratoga Springs and Ballston Spa, New York, in an effort to restore her health. Historians now believe that she may have been suffering from uterine cancer. That, yeah. Her husband, Joseph Alston, won election to the South, Car- the South Carolina <laughs> House of Representatives for an 1802 to 1803 term and later for a more extended period from 1805 to 1812. And now we're going to take a short detour via Atlas Obscura. <gasps> Love them. Quote, this is all a big old quote. I'll tell you when it's done. All right. On July 10th, 1804, Aaron Burr sat down at his desk and wrote his Theodosia a letter of goodbye. Quote, I am indebted to you, my dearest Theodosia, for a very great portion of the happiness which I have enjoyed in this life. You have completely satisfied all that my heart and affections had hoped for or even wished. The next day, Aaron, still the vice president of the United States, would kill Alexander Hamilton in a duel in Weehawken, New Jersey. Because everything is legal in New Jersey. <laughs> that was not part of the quote. That was just me. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the end. There we go. That's the end of the quote. <laughs> the reasons for this famous duel remain somewhat unclear. So the two had been opponents at various points politically throughout their lives. If you've seen Hamilton, you know. Yeah. Uh, one thing that did not end up in the musical, Hamilton reportedly spread rumors of an incestuous relationship between Burr and his daughter, Ah! but these claims appeared to be largely unfounded, having originated only in Gore Vidal's 1973 novel, Burr. Oh, okay. Not actually. All right. At least from anything we can find historically. That, yeah. That time period is very well documented, especially with someone like Hamilton, who writes everything down. I feel like... Why you do like a minute at a time? <laughs> I apologize. Don't, don't but apologize. But I also don't. Yeah, don't apologize. Burr was never formally charged with the murder and did finish out his term as vice president. I did... <laughs> Sir. Anyway, so that happened. I mean, we all knew that happened, but just to put it in the time frame for you... That's when it happened. 1804. In 1805, the South Carolina House of Representatives chose Alston to be the speaker, and he pushed the legislature to adopt a more equitable basis of representation. Theodosia visited her father and accompanied him to Ohio in the summer of 1806, along with her son. They spent a summer in Ohio. If you know that show, you're cool. Um, It was there that Aaron Burr allegedly, you can tell that this is me just paraphrasing stuff that I deemed not important. Uh, It was there that Aaron Burr allegedly met some people who might have been up to mischief of some sort, but the historical evidence isn't there to support any of the theories. Besides, this is not his story. That's a good, that, that was a good ending. I like that. Thanks. He does inevitably come up again, however. Because, <laughs> of course. <laughs> to prove that Theodosia Burr Alston was an awesome daughter. Aww. And this, I don't know. You may know this. Friends at home, if you only know Burr because of the musical, I need you to buckle up. Because there is some wacky stuff that you're like, he did what now? I'm into the horse and buggy. <laughs> Great. In the spring of 1807... 
Aaron Burr was arrested for treason. What? After serving out his term as vice president, Aaron headed west to establish a new country comprised of Western North American territory and Mexico. Oh my. He planned to become emperor of said country with Theodosia succeeding him as empress. <laughs> oh, this poor man. <laughs> you know who it reminds me of? Who? Mr. George M. Boynton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except George M. Boynton was just like a silly, a silly, silly mood. Versus, have you ever been so embarrassed by a mistake that you made that you flee and attempt to form your own found country? your own country? Uh, uh, just asking. There's a there's a lot happening here. Yes, I mean, it, to be clear, people were pretty mad at him for killing Alexander Hamilton. Oh, I'm sure. So he was not. He didn't have a lot of besties around. No, you know? I just find that very funny that they didn't make any allusion to that in Hamilton. It was probably very hard to fit in. That was yeah. I'm like, I feel like that's the cutting room floor. Yeah, it's not Burr the musical. That's fair. But <laughs> the end of the end of Hamilton when Eliza is singing and she's like, and then Burr tried to become an emperor. <laughs> oh, what now? I would tell you about it if we only had time. <laughs> Alexander's ghost is like, hold what? up. <laughs> Wait what? a minute. What? <laughs> They're like, you have to buy. <laughs> it's like a cursed child situation. You have yes. to buy a ticket for the next, <laughs> the next night one. to come to Burr the musical. <laughs> Lynn, if you want to get in on the, on the ground floor, let us Come know. On. Let us know. Uh, <laughs> and no, you can't be in it. Unless you're a ghost. <gasps> the ghost of Alexander Hamilton. Imagine. Like, Burr's, so Burr's, like, trying to found his country, and Alexander Hamilton's just, like, sitting on the edge of his desk, like, nah, man, you're stupid. Those finances won't work. Just, like dissing him as a ghost <laughs> just i mean it would make sense to me that alexander hamilton would have haunted burr oh, he for the rest of his life haunted the heck out of him because well, he was so petty so like there's no reason not to i mean there's a i wouldn't say haunting per- somebody who killed you is petty that's no, I pretty mean, valid like, out of uh, up to that point you're oh, right yeah. you're right you're right but like if, he wouldn't just be like spooky like he, <laughs> he, he i'm picturing it like a sitcom like like, Aaron Burr is, like, tucked up in his bed, and he's like, okay, I could, like, go west and found a country or whatever. And he, like, it's one of those camera moves where you're, like, looking down at Burr from the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. And then he, like, rolls over, and it's like, <laughs> nose to nose. Andrew Hamilton's ghost, and he's like, number 841 of reasons you suck, Burr. <laughs> Your socks? Ugly. <laughs> I'm really into this. Um, great. We'll workshop it. Yeah. Coming to. We'll bring it back off, to you. Off, 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 off Broadway. <laughs> My basement. <laughs> it's pretty far off Broadway. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little hop, skip, and a jump, and, you know, quick yeah. sail. It's fine. Uh, right. So he was going to found a country. Yeah. He was going to be the emperor. <laughs> Theodosia was going to be the empress. Okay. Because he really believed, like, he felt that his daughter was so smart that she would be proof that like men and women could be equal basically that, see that's a lovely sentiment it's thank like you, you dad so, so many much things going on you just it just the, the murder part is it, not good you were a couple steps off the line like you could have been iconic and now you're just you're minute mm. slay you know i mean i do appreciate what you're doing for me father however one did we have to kill somebody two did we have to try and start our own country? <laughs> oh, well, let me tell you, Emma. He did have the full support of his daughter and son-in-law. Oh, never su- mind. Who supplied much-needed funds. Sure. Go off, Dad. <laughs> the Alstons even headed west to help Aaron in his quest. She loved him so much. I mean, she was like, she's like, Dad, sure. you're my favorite. I I'll love you. I'll be an empress. <laughs> That's fine with me. So, right, but, uh, and, and there's some, some speculation that this wasn't an actually, like, serious plan. Maybe it was more of a hypothetical. Okay. But some people, like, read some notes. It, word got back to President T. Jeff, and he was like, you did, you did what now, Burr? Treason. 
straight to jail. Straight to Believe jail. it or not, straight, straight to, to jail. jail. <laughs> but Theo continued to be an awesome daughter. Even during his trial in Richmond, Virginia, she was there with him, providing comfort and support. She's She sounds like a good person. Yeah. Burr was acquitted of his treason charges, but he left for Europe to do some self-imposed exile for four years. So, uh, self-discovery? I guess. He was like... He's going to go backpack through Europe so he can find himself again. I'm going to go walk. (laughs) Boynton! Boynton! While her father remained in exile, Theo acted as his agent in the U.S., raising money that she sent to him and transmitting messages. She wrote letters to Secretary of the Treasury. Treasury. <laughs> uh, that guy, Albert Gallatin, and to Dolly Madison in an effort to secure a smooth return for her father. Hello, Dolly. Well, hello, Dolly. <laughs> she just runs out with the painting while the, <laughs> George Washington. the White House is burning down. That's a great episode of Drunk History. Yeah. The family was brought more misfortune by the death of Joseph and Theodosia's son due to malaria on July 30th, 1812, at the age of 10. Oh. Oh, that's so sad. The grief so overwhelmed Theodosia that she was unable to travel to New York City to reunite with her father upon his return a month later in July 1812. So even though they were super close, he's been gone for four years, she just couldn't do it. That Oh, that's so sad. I'm sure it, the minute she'd seen him, she would have completely broken down, too. So she was probably like, I'm going to, I'm just going to stick where I am. And keep in mind, throughout all of this, going west, court, petitioning, losing her son, she's still in incredible pain and terrible health. Oh, yeah. I completely forgot about her potential uterine cancer. Yeah. Not great. And very untreatable, like, back then. So, Aaron Burr is back in the country July 1812. In December of that year, the General Assembly elected Joseph Alston to be the 44th governor of South Carolina for a two-year term. Also, sorry, I just have generic southern accent, so... That's fine. Don't fight me, people who do stuff. They're so nuanced in between each other that it's like... That's something I wish the, that we had been required to take as we were, like dialect class. I would have loved that because they would have been able to overlap it with like linguistics and it would have been so much fun. Yeah, like my friends that went to a BFA program or were like serious theater people, who I love. I'm not making fun of them with that voice. But anyway, they, they learned like the phonetics and the alphabet. I'm like, mm, nope. When I went, when I was at William & Mary, I took linguistics classes purely for like basically dialect coaching because at some point I wanted to be a dialect coach I found it so fascinating during my first like intro class that I was like oh I can definitely do the next class and then it counts towards like my um, gen eds in some way I forget how and then I took the next class and it was so much more like science based that Mm -hmm. I was like this is interesting, but I'm having a really hard time with all the, like, You're math. Like, this is not my Professor Henry Higgins fantasy, so <laughs> I gotta go. I gots to go. It was really cute, though, because my professor for that class would use, because we were talking about, like, how kids develop languages and how you, like, you know, put suffixes and prefixes on certain words and kids will make those up. She was using audio from her son from when he was, like, two or three. Oh. And so this precious little baby voice would come out of the speakers. And every time she'd go, hmm, <laughs> like with a little ha- with her hand on her chest, she'd be like, hmm. Mm. Meanwhile, this man is like 25 now. <laughs> but it was just all really cute. Like, like, wow. hmm, like my little baby. He's so cute. That's adorable. <laughs> She's been using these clips forever. Chapter three. <gasps> Guns and ships. And several kinds of dips. Speaking of memes. As a newly appointed head of state, Joseph was not permitted to accompany Theodosia on her rescheduled journey north to visit her father, as the War of 1812 raged on. Oof. Instead, Aaron Burr sent a family friend, Dr. Timothy Green, to accompany his daughter. Alston used his connections to get a letter to the British Navy, which was blockading the coast, requesting safe passage for his wife. 
And then we have a quote from Wikipedia. Yes? I was going to sing exactly the same thing you did and then realized I didn't need to. <laughs> okay. On December 31st, 1812, Theodosia, along with Dr. Green, a French maid and skeleton crew, sailed aboard the schooner Patriot from Georgetown, South Carolina. The Patriot was a famously fast ship, which had originally been built as a pilot boat and had served as a privateer during the war when it was commissioned by the U.S. government to prey on English shipping. It had been refitted in December in Georgetown, its guns dismounted and hidden below decks. Its name was painted over and any indication of recent activity was entirely erased. So it's like, no, there's no warship <laughs> over here. This is just a boat. It has people on it. No, nothing, nothing to, to see, see here. Don't be suspicious. Don't, Don't be suspicious. The schooner's captain, William Overstocks of Overstock.com fame. No. I was just about to <laughs> make that joke. The schooner's captain, William Overstocks, desired to make a rapid run to New York with his cargo. It is likely that the ship was laden with proceeds from its privateering raids. <gasps> so that he was like, there is nothing here. No, nothing just to people. see here. Just, just, yeah. a, just, a, just a lot of people. That's it. On a big, big boat. I don't know. I don't know where he's what from. What kind of dialect is that? I don't know. Professor Higgins. Oh, there's a lot of musical references in this. Yeah. I mean, appropriately so. Welcome but. to the musical episode. Um, <laughs> like every sitcom. Right. The voyage to New York usually took five to six days to complete. The Patriot and all those on board, however, were never heard from again. <gasps> Did you not know this? I had no clue. I was like, okay, so like what? I was waiting for the mystery. So like this is very much like something I did not know. <gasps> Exciting. Immediately following the Patriots' disappearance, rumors arose. The most enduring was that the Patriot had been captured by a pirate near Cape Hatteras, notorious for wreckers who lured ships into danger. Ooh. And then we have a quote from... Atlas Obscura. I don't know why I turned into Alan Rickman for a second. I don't know either, but... In three weeks, I have not yet had one line from her, Joseph wrote to Aaron Burr. My mind is tortured. After 30 days, my wife is either captured or lost. By February 24th, he had given up all hope. Aww. Quote, My boy and my wife, gone both. This, then, is the end of all hopes we had formed, he wrote to his father-in-law. You may well observe that you feel severed from the human race. She was the last thing that bound us to the species. That's so sad. Unquote. And that says to me that he really, like, even if they didn't necessarily have, like, a really close romantic connection, that they really loved each other in, like, a I-love-your-soul kind of way. Yeah. The Patriot had disappeared without a trace, and its fate still remains a mystery. It was later learned that the British fleet had stopped her off Cape Hatteras on January 2nd, 1813. So they sailed on December 31st. Yeah. Governor Alston's letter had worked, and the schooner was allowed to pass. Later that night, a gale arose and scattered the British fleet. Beyond that clue... Nothing else is known. Burr sent searchers to Nassau and Bermuda with no success. Theodosia Burr Olsen most likely died at sea on January 2nd or 3rd, 1813. Joseph, her husband, died in 1816, a shell of a man he once was. Aaron Burr refused to credit any of the rumors of his daughter's possible capture, believing that she had died in a shipwreck. Quote, no, no, she is indeed dead. Were she still alive, all the prisons in the world could not keep her from her father, unquote. That's so sad, because that's also him making sure that he doesn't dwell. The rumors, however, persisted long after his death, and around 1850, 
more substantial explanations of the mystery surfaced, usually alleging to be from the deathbed confessions of sailors and executed criminals. Oh, well, that's never trustworthy anyway. Which brings us to chapter four, (gasps) the theories. (laughs) And in parentheses, I put big ups to Wikipedia for this whole section, (laughs) y'all. It feels like something that wouldn't be distilled elsewhere, really. Yeah, this gives us the most detail. Other people are like, yeah, this other thing happened. It's like two sentences. And it's like, or it could have been this. And it's like, well, what? Just say it. Yeah. A less romantic analysis of the known facts has led some scholars to conclude that the Patriot was probably wrecked by a storm off Cape Hatteras. Hmm. Logbooks from the blockading British fleet report a severe storm that began off the Carolina coast in the afternoon of January 2nd, 1813, and continued into the next day. James L. Mishi, an archaeologist from South Carolina who studied the course of the storm, concluded that the Patriot was likely just north of Cape Hatteras when the storm was at its fiercest. Quote, If the ship managed to escape this battering, which continued until midnight, it then faced near-hurricane-force winds in the early hours of Sunday. Giving this knowledge, the Patriot probably sank between 6 p.m. Saturday, January 2nd, and 8 a.m. Sunday, January 3rd. Unquote. Hmm. One of the most popular theories at the time, because the weather, boring. No one wants, no one cares. (laughs) It's like, really? That's lame. One of the most popular theories at the time was that the Patriot had fallen prey to the wreckers, known as the Carolina Bankers, who operated near Nags Head, North Carolina, and were known for pirating wrecks and murdering both passengers and crew. If Mother Nature did not provide them with a wreck due to natural causes, they would manufacture one for the taking. Oh, that's terrifying. They would tie a lantern around a horse's neck and traipse back and forth on the beach. Passing ships couldn't tell the difference between this ruse and a ship safely at anchor, so they would proceed further inland seeking harbor. Oi! They would instead be stranded on the shoals, left vulnerable to the pirates who would come aboard to plunder. LOL, I initially wrote caster crew. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving no caster crew member alive. <laughs> but actually, I mean, usually leaving no passenger or crew caster alive. Caster crew! <laughs> uh, tell me you're a theater kid without telling me you're a theater kid. Oh, I love that. To lend credence to this theory, a Mr. J.A. Elliott of Norfolk, Virginia, made a statement in 1910 that in the early part of 1813, the dead body of a young woman, quote, with every indication of refinement, had been washed ashore at Cape Charles and had been buried on her finder's farm. Who is Mr. J.A. Elliott? I don't know. But he said that. So he must have known somebody who knew something. Right. And it also, but it also sounds like there's no indication of who found her either. Yeah. The citation on the Wikipedia page was like a book. So I couldn't really dig into it. Follow up and be like, well, wait a minute. Over the years, numerous deathbed confessions, quote unquote, from various aged or imprisoned pirates were reported in papers all over the country. The first to gain traction was the case of Jean Defarge <laughs> and Robert Johnson. Jean <laughs> Defarge it sounds like a pirate. Look, uh, we're just strong and wrong with the pronunciations. Uh, and Robert Johnson. Yep. Uh, they were executed in 1819 for other crimes. <laughs> okay. But a 19... Nope. An 1820 article in the New York Advertiser claimed that the two had confessed to having been crew on the Patriot. Whoa. They claimed to have led a mutiny and scuttled the ship, killing all on board. Certain details, however, contradicted their account. (laughs) The men said that the weather had remained calm for three days, but this was not true. Yeah, we already know that that 
isn't okay. They also claimed that the Patriot had sailed from Charleston. They also claimed that the Patriot had sailed from Charleston when it had actually departed from Georgetown. Yeah. That kind of wraps up that, their particular situation. Writing in the Charleston News and Courier, a man named Foster Haley claimed that documents he had discovered in the state archives in Mobile, Alabama, said that the Patriot had been captured by a pirate vessel captained by John Howard Payne and that every person on board had been murdered by the pirates, including, quote, a woman who was obviously a noblewoman or a lady of high birth, unquote. However, Haley never identified or cited the documents he had supposedly found. Don't you love it when that happens? They're like, I just, like, I get it. Like, we want answers, but I, I'm like, I wouldn't lie about it. Right? It's, it's cheating. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we know what Shannon hates more than anything. It's cheating. You have to follow the rules. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Anyway, um, him, 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 not right now, Jeeves, Alfred, whatever name we gave you. <laughs> I think we gave him Jeeves. But not to be confused with the episode where we went down the rabbit hole of finding out what happened to Ask Jeeves. <laughs> Is he dead? We don't know. He's not um, dead. He's retired. He's retired. The most romantic legend involves piracy. And a Karankawa Indian chief on the Texas Gulf Coast. The earliest American settlers to the Gulf Coast told of a Karankawa warrior wearing a gold locket inscribed Theodosia. He claimed that after a terrible storm, he found a ship wrecked at the mouth of the San Bernard River. Hearing a faint cry, he boarded the vessel and found a white woman naked except for the gold locket, chained to a bulkhead by her ankle. Oh, there's a lot happening there. We don't have explanations. Nope. Okay. All right. The woman fainted on the sight of seeing a Karankawa warrior, and he managed to pull her free and carry her to the shore. When she revived, she told him that she was the daughter of a great chief of the white men who was misunderstood by his people and had to leave his country. She gave him the locket and told him that if he ever met a white man, he was to show them the locket and tell them the story. And then she died in his arms. Yeah. Not a ton of evidence to support this. No. That sounds not okay. I said, but do what you got to do for entertainment in the boring dry West, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Another myth traces its origin to Charles Guillard and his 1872 novel, Fernando de Lemos, Truth and Fiction. Guillard devoted one chapter to a fictional confession by the pirate Dominique Yu, admitting to having captured the Patriot after discovering it dismasted off Cape Hatteras following a storm. In Guillard's account, Yu and his men murdered the crew while Alston was made to walk the plank. Quote, She stepped on it and descended into the sea with graceful composure, as if she had been alighting from a carriage, unquote, Guillard wrote in Yu's voice. Because Guillard billed his novel as a mixture of, quote, truth and fiction, there was popular speculation about whether his account of Yu's confession might be real, and the story entered American folklore. I feel like people in general, like as a species, when something tragic happens and there doesn't seem to be any any explanation, we try to make things up to like make yeah, it make sense. Absolutely. Because we're like, well, just the storm destroying it. That's oh, not enough. What? Why? No. It had to be pirates. And because we don't know, we add more to the story in order to make it make oh, more yeah. sense. And you want, like, what, and you want it to honor the, you know, oh, she stepped into the sea with this grace and composure. Yeah. And since it's a mystery and you can't know, no one can basically say, well, that's definitely not what happened. And you can be like, well, you weren't there. Very much serving Wendy from Peter Pan walking the plane. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, I loved her when I was a Look, kid. if you were not obsessed with the 2003 live-action Peter Pan, were you even a girl in the early 2000s? Or a boy. I don't know. I can't relate to that experience, but. I've never seen it. Emma! <laughs> Ugh. And I can't even I've be never like, seen it. I can't even be like, I have to force you to see it. Cause like the whole joy of it was that every, like you were in love with Peter Pan. I, I but, know. But I, now you like, it would be weird for yeah, you to, to, uh, like, for you to watch it and be like, <laughs> to be like, yes, the 12 year old me would have been into him as another fellow child. <laughs> I don't know if it was like a thing where my parents were like, you can't watch this or something. I don't know the way they would, but we watched Hook. All the time. I've I never remember seen Hook. All right. Well, we had to trade Peter Pan movies. I guess because Hook is great. That's Robin Williams. Yeah, yes. it's so good. I, we also need to see um, Finding Neverland. They made that into a musical. I've seen that, and I sobbed next to a stranger. I haven't seen the musical. I've seen the movie. Oh, the stagecraft is beautiful. American folklorist Edward Rowe Snow. Later published an account in Strange Tales from Nova Scotia to Cape Hatteras that used the Guyard tale as a starting point. It's a very specific um, space. Right? He's like, well, we didn't have any stories in Florida, so I just, like, cut it off. Right. We, ran <laughs> we didn't have the budget to go all the way down to Florida. <laughs> in his version... This is going to get a little convoluted. I'm All warning right. you. I'm, I'm listening. Okay, so Edward's version of this story that the French guy wrote. In this version, a woman named Harriet Sprague made a sworn statement before a Michigan notary on February 14, 1903, in which she claimed to corroborate corroborate details in Guyard's novel concerning used confession jeez basically she's like yeah the you confession right. that's in that book real you was right you was right <laughs> you is smart you is important sprog described the contents of an 1848 confession by pirate frank burdick an alleged shipmate of you when the patriot was attacked I feel like I need, like, a whiteboard. Yeah, I feel like you're Charlie Day at this moment. Right. Okay, so this lady found a confession yeah. by a different pirate who was shipmates with the pirate in the French guy's novel. In Burdick's version, this is the more important part. Okay. In Burdick's version, the pirates left most of Alston's clothing untouched as well as a portrait of her. She was made to walk the plank and, according to Burdick, went, quote, without a murmur, clutching a Bible to the very end. Later, Rutgers discovered the deserted Patriot, and one of them carried the painting and clothing ashore. Which I'm like, why would they leave the stuff when the whole point was to wreck the boat and yeah. kill the people and take the stuff? But anyway, um, a legend later arose in Baldhead Island, North Carolina, that Theodosia roams the beaches searching for the painting. Who doesn't love a good ghost story? Me. That's who. I love it. I don't. It's also super sad. Why would she be looking for the painting? Well, I don't know. But there are problems with the authenticity of Burdick's account as well. Yeah. Alston, like her father, Aaron Burr, was decidedly unreligious. So it doesn't make sense that she'd be clutching a Bible. Yeah. Seems pretty impossible. Our next theory brings us much closer to home. All the way, in fact, to Alexandria, Virginia. Ooh! At St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Alexandria, Virginia, there is a mysterious grave belonging to, quote, a female stranger. According to lore, a man and woman arrived in Alexandria in 1816. The woman was very sick. And when a doctor was summoned, the couple would not answer any questions about their identities. The woman died soon after, and some believe that the couple was Theodosia Burr Alston and Dr. Green. But here's my thing. I'm like, why would they run away together? 
And also, I wrote, and furthermore, why would Green, a doctor, risk exposure by looking for a doctor? Was he like a doctor of medicine? I would assume so, because you wouldn't yes. put a doctorate preface at that time before a PhD really didn't exist. So you wouldn't be like, I'm concerned about my daughter's safety. Here, have this philosopher. <laughs> yeah, that'll protect you. So, yeah, that I, I, but, I agree. That makes. But who knows? Perhaps. No current sense. Perhaps we have. Cross paths with Theodosia Burr Alston. I mean, we went and saw acapella sing in St. Paul's. <laughs> I'm like, we've definitely been by that church. Yep. She was like, yeah, this one's a banger. I love it. Good job, two tones. <laughs> I don't know uh, what their name was. <laughs> I just made that up. Yeah. Other stories claimed that she had become the wife of an American Indian in Texas, had been taken as a pirate's mistress to Bermuda. Or that she had killed herself after resisting the advances of the pirate Octave Chauvet. I like that one. And we d- no other details. That was the only sentence that I found across all my sources, but mm. just thought I'd throw them out there. That's good. Yet another fanciful story had her writing farewell letters to her father and husband, stuffing them and her wedding ring in a champagne bottle, and throwing it into the Carolina Sea before being executed. <laughs> I don't know why, but that tickles me, of them leaving her alone long enough to stuff things into a champagne bottle. Yeah. I mean, if they were, if they were, like, wrecked in that way of, like, oh, we're going to force you to wreck, then, you know, there might have been time of, like, well, shoot, we can't move, and another boat is approaching us. Yeah. Panic. That's fair. I guess. But if she threw a champagne bottle overboard, if they were that close to shore, it would just wash up on shore. Oh, that's true. I don't know. Look. This is why I'm not in the urban legend business, okay? I like that there's a... That it's a business. I I would really like to... I would really like to see those business cards. You like to invest? <laughs> I would love to invest in your urban legend business. You can't see the cards. <laughs> Do they exist? Do they not? It's an urban legend. Ah. As opposed to a rural legend. I feel like those would be more terrifying. All right. Our last theory, Mm. however, cropped up a bit later in 1869. The story goes one of two ways, depending on who you ask. Okay. The first is interesting, but not intriguing, in my opinion. Not to lead the witness, but there you go. Come this way. In 1869, physician William G. Poole treated Molly Mancary, an elderly woman in Nags Head, and noticed an unusually expensive-looking oil painting on her wall. Mancary gave it to him as payment because she didn't have a lot of money and claimed that when she was young, her first husband had discovered it on a wrecked ship during the War of 1812. Ooh! She claimed that decades before, he and his friends had come upon a scuttled, empty schooner near Kitty Hawk. In one cabin, they found many fine items, including the portrait and dresses, which were now in Polly's possession. Dr. Poole became convinced that the portrait was of Theodosia. He conducted research on the painting and believed it was painted by John Vanderlyn. According to legend, Theodosia had commissioned the portrait and had it with her aboard the Patriot. She planned to give it to her father, Aaron Burr, when she arrived in New York. The doctor contacted members of her family, some of whom agreed, though Poole conceded that they, quote, cannot say positively if it was her because none of them had ever seen her. So I don't know if it was like distant cousins or aunts. Well, because at that point, Burr and her husband were both dead. Yes. So there would have been no way for them to have ever seen her. Yes. Time. That is the the answer. Uh, Mary Alston Pringle 
who had been the missing woman's sister-in-law, was the only person contacted by Poole who had actually known Theodosia. And Pringle could not recognize the painting as a portrait of her. Oh. The portrait is now at Yale University's Lewis Walpole Library. And it's just titled, like, The Nags Head Portrait. I want to go to Yale's library so badly because their rare books section, the Beinecke, is, like, incredible. I want to go so badly. I have no, like, research reason to go, which is Well, now you do. It's on the road trip. Another version of this tale... It's much more mysterious mm. and scintillating. Mm. In this edition, Dr. Poole still goes to treat an elderly woman, this time a fisherman's wife. Once again, they offer to pay him with an unusually expensive slash high quality oil painting of a young woman. Okay. When asked how they came into the possession of such an item, the fisherman describes the following. Many years before, a young woman had drifted ashore in a rowboat near Nagshead. The woman had no memory of who she was or where she was from, and the only item in her possession was the fine portrait which she would not allow to be removed from her grasp. The members of the village cared for the young woman and nursed her back to health. Eventually, she settled down in the isolated community, and the fisherman had taken her as his wife. The portrait that was the only evidence of her past life, whatever that may have been, had hung in their small cottage ever since. The doctor said he would gladly accept the painting as payment, but upon hearing this, the old woman rose out of bed, saying, It is mine! You shall not have it! I am on my way to visit my father in New York. The old woman seized the portrait and ran into the waves. She was never seen again. But we have the portrait. But the next day, <laughs> the portrait floated back onto the beach. Do we know if this portrait has any, like, salt or water damage? I mean, it, it looks fine I on the that. image I saw on Wikipedia, <laughs> so... Like I said, that one's more interesting. Mm. Maybe not. You can see on the Instagram photos, I think there's like maybe a resemblance between her and like a confirmed portrait of Theodosia Burr. Like they're white ladies with curly brown hair. Okay. What's funny is that in my brain this entire time, because in Hamilton's first run, Burr is black. He's let... Leslie Odom Jr. Mm-hmm. This entire time, Theodosia in my brain has been a black woman. <laughs> yeah, I, I no. <laughs> so, but, when you were like, they're both white ladies, and I'm like, oh yeah, oh right. <laughs> See, that's that's what Fox News. They're gonna be like, this is why we can't have this. You're uh, confusing the children. It's it's not confusing though. It was just, oh my gosh, ridiculous. Today, mm-hmm. the legend of Theodosia lives on. Her ghost is said to haunt her plantation, the Oaks, the Outer Banks, Richmond Hill, and Baldhead Island, where it is said her spirit is chased by three headless pirates. <laughs> Why are they headless? <laughs> I don't know. That's the end. Well done. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> that was honestly so unexpected as far as like a mystery i had no clue about any of this and also like very well done very timely done thank you very very much appreciated the timing on this one thanks very good great i'm i'm just gonna like let us get out our bottles full of messages if you want to like oh play that song real quick let me let me go let me go clink through them real quick okay
All right, Emma. You got one uncorked over there? Shook it out. Got rid of the sand. All right. So today we have a heart fart from Alyssa. They say, hi, hi. I'm just going to introduce myself here because this email got way longer than intended. I'm Allie. Hi, Allie. Hi, Allie. When was this email sent? This is October 14th, 2021. All right, all right. We're into Q4. We're getting there. Um, Haley and Ruth (laughs) ended up getting me into your podcast. And before I share some spoopy stories of the weird mysterious of my own, I wanted to give a few suggestions of some topics slash cases that I would love to see covered. So I'm just going to read the... uh, topics that she might want to see so the disappearance of madeline mccann which is super weird and sad yeah the disappearance of bobby dunbar she says underneath it another sad child disappearance i'm sorry (laughs) it's all right clearly you got the vibe of the show yeah peggy the doll and harold the doll so i've got a couple more no Allie, i take it back i'm not unhello to you (laughs) So when you asked me like weeks ago, you don't have any more dolls, do you? And I was like, well, this is why. I hate it here. <laughs> um, the next is the death of Edgar Allan Poe. <gasps> Already <laughs> done. <laughs> At Lady of the Dunes, which is something that is on my docket. I am so, this is such a good one. Mary Reeser, which I need you to look into because it's, uh, on my side, it's funny. Um, but it's a spontaneous human combustion. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so bad. It's so bad. But the only reason I find it funny, it, it's not the instance. Thinking about the spontaneous human combustion is because BuzzFeed Unsolved did an episode. Of course they did. But I was watching it with my dad. <laughs> and he, first of all, was like, this isn't real. But also was like making puns throughout the whole thing. It was bad. It's bad. It's bad. And the last one is Kushtaka, which is a cryptid were otter. Oh. <laughs> How cute. Maybe slash deadly. I, I don't know. I guess we'll find I out. Maybe. Anywho, I really enjoy your podcast so far. It's super easy to listen to and love the banter. <laughs> the bants. The bants. You're welcome. Slash, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But if you're still here, then... Yeah, hi, Allie. You're in the club. You're still here. Thanks for hanging around. You're in the club. Sorry it took us so long to get to your get to your email. Um, but all of those have been noted. It so. did have to wash ashore to us. So. Yeah. It took, a li- it took a little bit. Message in a bottle. Message in a bottle. There's another song about a message in a bottle. It's like got 90, no, that's Genie in a Bottle. <laughs> We gotta go. <laughs> and I can't remember Christina Aguilera, but hopefully you remember <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. 